Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Jason. And I'm Martin. This is Hemispheric Views. Yeah, so what listeners just heard uh, in the intro there was a suggestion from our Discord by a listener, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Pottybock. He hails from France, I believe. So thanks for that suggestion, because we thought we'd try to make the show a little bit more accessible for people who might be jumping in and goodness knows, I don't know if anyone does this, but doesn't actually go back to the beginning of the whole RSS archive. Apparently people have other things to do. But uh, yeah, hopefully now you know who we are if you've joined the show late. So welcome. We don't actually do follow up very much. It's not a regular part of the show, but I thought that we should do this given our last episode about the home row. Jason, you brought up the home row as a category of a topic of discussion and how things have changed with inputs. And then we had a listener suggest typewise the keyboard. And I thought that I would give it a crack. For anyone who hasn't tried this before, it's basically like a hexagonal key shaped keyboard. And it's supposed to be centered around, it's like thumb centric typing with the keys generally in the QWERTY layout, but wrapping around these dual thumb buttons in the middle. Have either of you tried this as well? I have not. No, I have. Yes, I've got, I've got thoughts. So I'll supplement your review with my own comments, Martin. So if you want to give a bit of a feedback as to how you've gone. Wait, with it. is this, is this going to be a matrix thing all over again where you guys just fight? Cause I don't know if I'm prepared for that two times in a, a review row. and a counter review. No fights here, just healthy banter, Jason. Uh, I don't want to spend too long obsessing over it, but I thought I'd give it a go since it was kindly sent in. And yeah, I, it was a bit of an experiment for me because I thought, okay, they've designed this keyboard to be for the mobile era rather than just porting what is on a desktop keyboard onto a smaller screen. And I thought I'm going to challenge myself. And when I started this, I got the concept. I got the idea of swiping and holding and quicker access and not having to go down layers of stuff. But obviously my brain is completely focused on the type of keyboard that I've been using since I was a kid. It's all this QWERTY desktop layout. So it's overcoming years and years of entrenched habits and finger movements and muscle memory. And I thought I don't want to be, you know, the old dog who can't learn new tricks. So I've been trying this for the past week or so, and it has been really challenging. I know that in the tutorials, it says that it takes about a week. Um, I don't know if I'll stick with it in the, lo- stick with it in the long run. I-, I do find it somewhat frustrating. And I'm also a guy who normally types with one thumb fairly quickly anyway. So I've really just limited this to my iPhone rather than using it on the iPad or something. And uh, whenever iMessage, an iMessage pops up and I respond to something, I try using it. Uh, it, it has been difficult. Two questions. Question one, is it clear that this was a keyboard written for not a mini phone? Because I have to imagine that they probably didn't test it on that. So was that an issue? And the state of third-party keyboards in general, I completely forgot that they even existed on iOS. So clearly that's still a thing. How is that experience? Is it you never know what keyboard's going to pop up still? Or is it basically you know once you pick it, it's there in every single app, screen, whatever? 
Mm. Good questions. So on the first thing, it does feel totally fine to me, like it fits on the iPhone 12 mini. So it doesn't feel like it's been shoehorned in. You can change the size of the characters on the keys. I've stuck with medium as opposed to large, which is a funny option given that there doesn't appear to be a small, so there is no technical medium between two other options. (laughs) That's up for them to resolve. Um, The hexagonal keys do throw me off a little bit, so maybe they do make sense on a larger display. I mean, I don't find myself needing a different layout to reach over to the side. I do like the haptic feedback, though, that you get with each key press, which I think actually Apple could probably use with their own default keyboard. You can actually get like uh, a physical vibration with each key tap if you turn that on. Um, In terms of third-party keyboards, I don't really like the way that it fits into the look of the screen. It's either this solid block or has a weird fade to it and the color options don't really do it for me. But um, it's generally been fine, except occasionally I'll go back to messages and the default keyboard is there when I didn't leave it that way to my memory. So fine for the most part but the occasional weird surprise yeah so i tried it for a, a few days and i had it on both the ipad and the iphone 13 mini similar to mine it fit okay on the 13 mini it takes up a bit more screen space than the standard keyboard um just because of the nature of the hexagons it has to um i similarly touch typist for many years I've tried and I just don't, I'm too slow and I make too many mistakes with it and I get frustrated. Particularly on the iPad, it doesn't play well with the the smart folio keyboard. So sometimes you get sort of no keyboard or it doesn't seem to register that you've got it plugged in. And and so it will come up anyway, I think, even though you're trying to use the normal keyboard. And then if you try to switch to emoji, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So I gave up on that pretty quickly. I think it's it's suffering because, like Jason said, the iOS support for third-party keyboards is pretty horrible. And you do get that random, what keyboard am I going to get this time? I didn't like it. <laughs> I think that's what I'm really trying to get to. <laughs> um, I appreciate maybe if you were a complete keyboard neophyte, it might work for you. And I get the science that it, would, it maybe is more efficient. But I think the fact it's still it's kind of this halfway house because it's still bounded to the QWERTY principles. I think it would actually be a better keyboard if it just went full Dvorak or something like that and said, like, we're going to put it keys wherever the most efficient space is for them to be rather than trying to bend the QWERTY keyboard around a space, two space bar thumb buttons in the middle. Uh, So yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't jive with it. So it's really more of a, you put new keycaps on your keyboard versus this is a whole new wild way to enter text is what it sounds like. Not even new keycaps because the keycaps are still kind of in the same spot. They've just been bent. It's the special characters and the things that are different, I would say, on that second layer. Yeah. And what I did find nifty was the swipe to delete and, and undelete. You, instead of backspace, backspace, you would just slide your finger across and it would delete you know, letters as you go back and then you can swipe forward again and they would reappear. In actual fact, what I, I used the other day, the new the new version of Outlook for iOS, and it has taken a different approach to this. It does predictive text of what you're going to type for the rest of your sentence and it sort of puts shadow text up ahead of where your, your carrot is predicting what you're going to write. And then if you agree to that's what you're going to write, you can just swipe forward and it fills the rest in. 
it's weird, it's freaky, and it's very accurate. And you realize how much of what I write is never unique or interesting whatsoever because the computer can predict what I'm going to say. Or can we question whether it is in fact prediction and it's actually changing what you're going to write? Well, that's the other thing. Yes, it does. And you're in this weird headspace of like, I guess I could say that. (laughs) Um, Submit to the machine, Andrew. Submit to the corporate machine. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit that way. So I kind of, I liked it and didn't like that feature all at the same time, but it's a more efficient way of typing because you don't type. Interesting approach. What I will say about this, though, I want to thank uh, listener Phil, who actually tweeted it in, and that's how we discovered it. What I liked about uh, what he said was that it took him some practice, but one of the things that he really enjoys about this thumb-optimized keyboard, as he said, is that no one in the family can actually type on his phone if they happen to be holding it. (laughs) So, I mean... You you said, you know, maybe it's good for keyboard neophytes, Android. I, I would agree with that largely. But in this case, we have someone who's a self-professed tech enthusiast on Twitter saying, you know, I put in the hard yards, I switched. So I'm glad it works for him. And I'm glad that someone's trying, you know, different inputs out there. But look, if anyone out there does have some sort of privacy or security concern or doesn't want people sending messages on their phone without them knowing, if that's even a thing, this is obviously the keyboard for you. How many thumbs would we give this? It's the most appropriately thumbed thing we could review. Andrew, how many thumbs? How many Andrew thumbs on that? Um, I'm giving it one half thumb. Just the the half thumb that taps the screen. Just that half half thumb. Okay, so one front nub. And Martin, (laughs) how many... Um, Out of five Andrew thumbs, I would give it four because even though I don't know if I'll stick with it in the long run, I really admire that someone tried something different. It's familiar enough that you can start using it straight away, but it actually challenges you to do things a bit differently. And things like the haptics and the color designs, I I think it's really creative. So to keep this topic going for as long as possible, I have one last question. Um, Do you use any other third-party keyboards ever in the last 10 years, just in general? Deleted all of them. I've tried them, don't like them. It's iOS that's the problem. It it manages them terribly. Yeah, I, that was my the most curious thing I, I was wonder, wondering when you guys did this was, has that changed at all? Regardless of if the keyboard itself was any good, has the actual implementation changed? I assumed no, because it was like, here's third-party keyboards, never touched again. Like, whatever code base, that part of iOS has not been checked out by anybody in like eight years, I'm sure. Well, despite all of that, I think this is the best one that I've tried, and I'd encourage people to give it a go, at least. The other, the other best new keyboard that I never remember to use is now the built-in swipe keyboard. You used to have to install a third-party keyboard to get that, and now you can just swipe on your keys. And Natasha is a swiping fiend. I, I can't use it. I love swiping with my pencil on that keyboard with the iPad, but not on the iPhone. Martin, what iPad would that be that you're writing on with that cool pencil? Oh, you mean this one, the new iPad Mini oh, 6th generation? Oh, the iPad yes. Mini 6th. Oh, the the iPad cute. It is adorable. My order finally arrived. That's great. How That was like about a month, was that? Something like that? Oh, something like that. It projected two months, but then in typical Apple style, they went, oh, it's already coming to you. So they really did that whole under-promise thing. So do you have some opening statements on it before I, I, I have a very critical question, which I wasn't allowed to ask on chat the other day. I had no. to save it for the show. Yeah, you got to save that up. So, But I'll allow you to have a maybe an opening gambit. 
So I got myself the iPad mini 256 gigabyte Wi-Fi only in space gray with the black uh, little smart folio, the back and front cover. And my intention for this device was to have a nice little addition in the realm of entertainment, reading things away from typing and keyboards and audio editing and all of that. So I love the size and I'm glad that I got it. That's my little opening statement. 256, you said? Yep. I think that's what, I don't remember what I got. I think I got that. Isn't there, there's only, there's only medium and large, I think, right? For, for the iPad mini, if I remember right, in terms of storage i think it's 64 and 256 i might have misremembered so it's like small and no, large medium, or, medium and large. everything's know. medium and large now medium yeah. medium and large okay. yeah. and you got space gray and then the black cover got it okay well i'm gonna let actually i feel like andrew's got a got a burning question here why don't, why don't you go ahead okay well let me start with the preamble because you but you boys are both your, your influences on me that's what they call me on instagram that's right so I was walking down the street the other day and I was telling Hannah about the fact that both of you have iPad minis and therefore I want one too. And I said to her, but the problem is I have absolutely zero purpose for an iPad mini. I have a mini phone. Okay, so I got the mini phone because I like to use that just as a phone and really not that much else. But I have the, what would it be, the 10, the 11-inch iPad, small iPad mm-hmm. Pro. Medium. And for me, that is the device that I use like most people would probably use their phone and I love it and it's perfect and I can hold it comfortably in, in one hand. I have big hands. You have big hands. Look at it. Look at him. Paul, he's palming an 11 inch iPad. Like it's nothing. Piece of cake, right? So yeah, your hands are bigger than mine. So my question is, is as cute as the mini is, is it not just another device in which I have to manage and install apps and put updates on and, keep one password updated and all these little bits and pieces. Where is, what am I missing in my current experience of a small phone and a medium sized iPad? Well, I would say that it's not necessary. It's not necessary at all. iPads in general, you could probably just say, you know, you don't need an iPad, right? A lot of people don't even need a Mac or an equivalent Windows PC. The the iPhone or equivalent Android handset is pretty much all that most people need, as people discovered recently listening to your father-in-law, Mr. Kim Beasley, right? He only has an iPhone. So you don't really need an iPad mini. Where it fits in for me is I essentially thought of ordering an iPad mini a while ago. And even when they were saying there would be rumors of like an iPad Air style redesign, I thought, oh, that's the one I want. Then the iPad Pro came out and I went, actually, this is more the, the laptop equivalent or replacement that I wanted for all the pro stuff or doing audio editing, typing work, whatever. And then this came along and I thought, oh, I don't need it, right? Jason got one and I saw the benefits of it, but I thought I'm going to resist. And then the thing that really switched it over for me was there are all these times that I want to sit down and read something like RSS or news articles or newsletters that I've uh, you know subscribed to or micro.blog or even just carry something around as a simple sketch machine or to watch videos on. And even though the iPad Pro 11 inch is a lovely size and it's like the laptop style tablet equivalent for me, it just doesn't really suit sitting down or leaning back in bed in the same way when you want to read something. So to me, the whole solution of uh, t- to me the whole solution of managing the devices is it doesn't have everything on it that is necessarily on my iPhone or that is on the other iPad. It's a more focused device for reading and entertainment. So if you attempt to clone everything from your equivalent iPad or iPhone onto this iPad Mini, 
yeah, it's going to be more of a nightmare and you're going to be updating stuff that you don't even use. So for me, it's a behavioral adjustment to make sure that I get the maximum out of this more minimal product. But to be totally upfront with you, it is a luxury. I don't really need it. It's purely for enjoyment. Okay. Second question, if I may ask. I I am a fan of using my iPad in portrait mode. I know that's generally frowned upon to hold it in portrait, but I like reading, like you just said, in portrait mode. And that seems to be a sales pitch for the mini. But does it not suffer the jelly scrolling in portrait mode? I'm not saying it's not there, apparently, but in my use of it, I have not seen anything that I would regard as uh, horrible or seriously noticeable. Even the lack of something like ProMotion, I don't care. Oh, okay. Okay. Because that was the other thing. I thought that ProMotion would be a big deal. I think it's one of those things where, I mean, you'll see pro YouTubers, for example, talking about the things that it does or doesn't have. One thing that I've heard a lot about this iPad mini is the display is okay, I guess, right? I think this is in the area of nitpicking. If you have space in your life for a small tablet, which is very convenient to hold and you can enjoy things like entertainment and reading on, then it's wonderful. Um, If your job is to present lots and lots of specifications because listeners or viewers expect you to say this versus this and that's better than that, then of course you're going to be fixated on those things or you might actually notice things more than the average user. All of those things are totally fine and the jelly scrolling has not leapt out at me at all. Yeah, a couple of, I mostly agree with everything that that Martin has said. Um, I do have the mini, I think it's I think it's basically the same one you have. I got the orange cover because it's orange. So, of course, I got that one. The thing for me, I guess, is that is it required? No, of course not. That's that would be insane to say that it was for me. I'm a little bit of a different uh, case, though, because I have the 13 inch iPad Pro. So for me, the iPad mini really is a distinct device in the iPad realm. Um, so there's that, which is, which is why I went with the mini. If I was using the 11, it would have been a, probably a harder decision, I think, because they are closer. Although I still think there would be value. Um, the other piece is that the iPad mini in my tech view, if you want to call it, the iPad mini is an iPad. The iPad pro 13 inch is a modular laptop. I agree with that. I didn't feel like I was getting another iPad. I felt like I was getting my first iPad in the sense of what you would do with an iPad where there's no keyboard attached to it. It's a slab of glass that I mostly just interact with in terms of reading something or looking at something. I'm not creating anything on it except I do use it as a uh, a small notebook for taking to meetings or whatever at work where I can just pop that open, drag up from the bottom right, do a quick little note and and have it be synced to my computer. Uh, so it, that's the only creating I'm really doing on it. It's great for referencing all of my uh, craft notes. I reference them a lot on there. I don't enter a lot of information. I may you know tweak a sentence here or there, but I'm not writing blog posts on it or anything like that. So it's very much a give have the information available to me especially like around the house where I my phone is I don't know where my phone is to be perfectly honest because this is just it's the right size screen where I feel like the phone is just too small and too compromised for almost everything where I'm constantly having to 
swipe back and forth to get the menu back so I can select a new thing. And now I'm in this view and that whole song and dance. So it's completely luxury, but I do feel like it is the, the best example of the essence of what the word iPad is meant to be. Um, whereas the iPad pros are very much modular laptops is what I would call them. Great. Great. Now this episode is costing me what? $2,500. I got to buy a new, I got to buy an iPad pro big one, a new, a new smart keyboard to go with that and an iPad mini. I have negatives. Hold on. Let me give you the negatives on the iPad mini. It's not all sunshine and rainbows over here in iPad mini land. Touch ID. I don't like it. I got to say. I, I love can't it. stand it. I, 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 I love the implementation. Sorry to interrupt. I think it is such a step backwards in terms of getting into my device. I now look at it and have to figure out and remember, okay, wait, okay, it's facing this way. So now the touch ID button's here. Make sure I register the fingers on that hand. Oh, wait, now it's the other way. Let me make sure I've got enough fingers registered on that side. And then I got to hold it and then keep holding to fully unlock. Okay, cool. Let me do that some more. So it's fine. I think it lends itself better to the phone, to be perfectly honest, because my thumb is right where the stupid button is anyway. Just an observation that I've had. So yeah, it's fine. It's got touch ID. Cool. If it had face ID, it'd be like 40 million times better. Um, The screen thing you mentioned about the, the jelly scrolling I don't fully quite understand what that is. To me, that's just, it's not promotion. That's what LCD screens always looked like, I thought. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just took that to be, we got used to promotion and what that looked like on the iPad Pros. And then when we got an LCD screen again, it was like, wait, this doesn't look as good. Well, yeah, it's not promotion. It's going to be... Yeah, I think it is a bit different because I think the iPad Air doesn't have promotion but also doesn't have this problem if you want to call it a problem i don't personally say oh my god the jelly scrolling again that feels a bit like a i have to do a review to make sure i get 10 million youtube views so i have to have like a negative thing to say about an apple product um maybe you see it maybe you don't i don't maybe it's a subjective thing where certain people it affects them in cuz i know there's people that work where they can't even look at promotion right where that just like makes them feel weird somehow i could never understand that i don't I, that doesn't it doesn't do it to me so this may be like that where if your brain is wired in just the right way you see you know jelly scrolling I don't know. I I would say go to a store and like scroll on one for 10 minutes and see if it does it for you before you buy one maybe. But I don't really see that to be an issue. That being said, it, with promotion, I would love it another 4 million times more. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the promotion, but it doesn't have that. But and mostly that's okay. I'm because of the stuff I'm doing on it. It's not not a huge deal. You know, I'm doing handwriting notes. If it's a, if it's like a half a millisecond behind my pencil, like I don't care, whatever. Uh, and, and the price is pretty decent given what it is. Um, I, I think the covers are, the covers seem to have gotten very costly. I'm not sure. That's the rot. The covers are the rot. Yeah. Those need to come down about 20 or $30. I think they're the floor, they're the floor mats of the, uh, the new car purchase. It really, it really felt that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it is USB-C, so that's great. You know, I, I was always 
there's always that fear that they're going to somehow do a lightning thing and I'm going to have to figure that out. But it seems like iPad is pretty, pretty good on USB-C and just that form factor with the, like the way the pros look with the square, whatever that we're calling that now, that design language. Um, it's been great. I, I use it every day. Uh, I still use it every day, multiple times a day. I read, uh, uh, books on it every night in bed. It's a gr- it's great for that because it's super light. Even if I drop it on my face, it's fine. I'm not gonna die. Like if I drop the 13 Pro on my face, you know, start writing my obit because I'm dead. One of the things that I love about this iPad, away from the device itself, is that because it's 256 gigs and it's an enter- entertainment specific device, I have been able with chunks of room left to download every single episode of Seinfeld onto this thing. So I now have a portable Seinfeld machine. So as long as I have this with me, even if there's no internet connection, didn't have to get a cellular one, that has to be the height of nerdy luxury to take Seinfeld with you. I think this is the only device like this, but the button configuration is weird in that all the buttons are on the top of the device. So the power button is on the top and both volume buttons are on the top. And it's completely out of necessity because one side, the buttons would be covered inside the case and the other side, the pencil attaches to it. I don't know if we even talked about that, but the pencil pencil two does have that cool little magnetic thing, which is fantastic. So you can't put the buttons there. So they're all on the top, which was very strange at first because no device has ever had volume buttons on the top. But the cool thing with the mini and, and somebody can, correct me, maybe the iPad Air does this too. I, I don't have one. But if you turn the device, you know, to the left where the buttons are on the left, the volume up and down works where up is up and down is down. And if you flip it around the other way, it's still the way it's facing up is up and down is down in terms of volume. So, it, so it it's swaps swapping the what the buttons are doing based on orientation which sounds like that would be a nightmare, Very but it's clever. super intuitive because if it's sitting in front of you, up is up. It's it's very intuitive, and I think it's a very elegant way to handle the the hardware buttons, which usually you can't, you know, once hardware is fixed, you can't change it. But in this case, it works nicely. So, Andrew, you don't need an iPad mini. No one needs an iPad mini. Uh, I think both Jason and I fully accept that this is a luxury purchase. Um Although I would encourage if anyone out there is listening who doesn't have an iPad or wants to get a new iPad, the key selling point for this would be if you don't want an iPad, which is designed to also maybe be a laptop, whether it's a smaller or larger modular kind of laptop, as Jason said, this is really pure, tiny little sketchbook carry around tablet. It's also it's not the crap one like in the past where because it was the small one, yep. it's, it had like the old processor or just had crap features like the iPhone mini where it got the same stuff. The iPad mini has the latest and greatest, uh, you know, the great a whatever it has chip. It's got all the goods in it, minus obviously the stuff that would be in a pro like promotion and all that stuff, because building products, that's how that works. But it's not, it has no compromises in that respect just because it's small. They didn't skip out. I'm just looking at the shopping page. It's a real shame they didn't do a 128 gigabyte because it feels like 64 is a bit small. 256 is probably overkill. Oh, yeah, that's by design for sure. Nobody's getting the 64. I almost did actually. I thought about it and I was like, it's probably fine, but what if it's not? 
Yeah, that's what I get you. But yeah, I would say definitely get one, Andrew, for sure. 100%. Great. I'll, I'll take it up with Hannah. Angel and demon on your shoulder. This is a topic that's been in the show notes, or at least our topic pool, for ages. And I wanted to drag it up because I wanted to know what Jason had to say. I'm sure you have something to add, Andrew. Uh, it was about the fact that gaming is getting weird, in parentheses, in a good way. Now, since resurrecting this topic, Jason has added a chunk of bullet points. Jason, why is gaming getting weird? Gaming is getting weird because of the fact that gaming used to mean get a console or a computer, purchase software for said console or computer, and play it. And that was kind of it. That was where the line was drawn. Then we got, you could download games onto consoles, which was basically the same as getting discs or cartridges, but now they're just coming over the internet. No big deal. But I feel like lately, in maybe the last two to three years, it feels like things are getting weird in the way that you look at things like uh, we talked, I think we talked briefly about uh, xCloud not too long ago, where you have this platform that is completely internet based that you open a web browser and play AAA, you know, high level max quality games in a web browser on your phone in your pocket over 5G or whatever while you're driving down the road. It, that's mind boggling that A, that works at all and that we're, we've reached that level of, of compute. But even then past that, now we're moving into subscription services where we have things like Apple Arcade is one of them, which is, I think it's still a pretty good thing to have. I, I think it maybe is suffering a little bit from... Uh, There's no good games. There's no good games for it. Just admit it. It's it's garbage. Okay. <laughs> All right. We've got that opinion over there on the on the far right. Apple Arcade, we've got, you know, your usual Steam and all that. But then you also have things like Xbox Game Pass where you pay them X dollars a month and you just get everything they have. And they're all really good games that you would normally pay $60 a piece for. But now you're paying, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever it is, which is a fantastic deal, I would have to, I have to say. And also just the fact that there's a lot of like retro stuff that's coming back around, but not just retro for retro's sake. There's usually a twist on it. So like the analog pocket that I talked about a while back where it's this like ground up rebuild system to play old games, but it does like, you know, pixel for pixel mapping, but it's all 10x. So it looks gorgeous. Um, I recently ordered something called a Polymega. This looks pretty impressive. I looked at it. A modern console that has modules that you put in so it can play, you know, PS1, PS2, Sega CD, put in a module, put in N64 cartridges, put in another module, put in Sega, uh, um, Sega Master System, all of them. And it just has these modules you plug in and it's all, you know, obviously modern. So it comes out HDMI and all that. I think it's kind of cool that all this stuff is happening right now. And I, and I think it's, I don't think it's by any coincidence that a lot of the people that grew up in that era of 80s, 90s of video games are now in, we're having children age and we want to pass that down. But we're also now in a position to be able to 
create things like this in an easier way. So it's kind of this cool pass down of generational stuff, whereas previously be like, here's my newspaper clippings from, you know, whatever time frame. But now it's like, here's a modern system where you can play my copy of GoldenEye from N64 back in, you know, 1996. When I say weird, it's just that everything has been turned on its head. And now we're just recently within the last weeks, we've we're now in this new era of we had the old tech companies, you know, every tech company is there's like five and they're all just buying everything up until there's only five companies left, much like how, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi bought up all the fast food chains. And now there's only two companies there. Now we're seeing that with gaming where there was the, the, a couple of huge acquisitions in the last couple of weeks. And then just most recently Sony bought another one. So now we're having this reverse kind of roll up into these larger umbrella companies I don't know if that part is necessarily in a good way, <laughs> but it's happening because there's a lot of money in gaming. And, it, and I think we've all known that for a long time. But, you know, movies have always been looked at as, oh, it's fine to make billions of dollars on that. Movies are fine. Gaming was always looked at as this kind of stepchild of like, oh, yeah, it makes a lot of money, but games are bad. This is what worries me. It's that the the business model is becoming the key element of the gaming industry, not production of games. It's not about having a cool game that people like and are willing to pay 80 bucks for. It's about how can we own this content and and make sure we're getting our, our revenue per month out of every user and it's just it just it's getting it's really big business like you say and it's it just seems like the joy is being sucked out of it because everybody want, now wants to own you in their little silo. You know, like you've got to be an Xbox customer and pay us a monthly fee, and you, you know, so as, and you're going to, or you're going to be a, a Sony pl- customer. And I feel like, it's like you either end up going, oh, it's all too hard, and it's only for the hardcore gamers, or you pick a tribe and you're stuck with it. Um, and then the other option is it's going to be like how all the streaming services have become. So now you've got to have Netflix stand in Australia, Disney. You've got to have them all because there'll be one title that you want to watch. And it just, it's, it's, it's user hostile. I, don't know, I just don't like the whole subscription direction. It's mirroring uh, the streaming services very closely. The only real difference is that the hardware is not democratized at this point. Right, where like right now, and you know, get a Amazon Fire TV or a Roku or Apple TV or whatever, and they pretty much all have all the apps. You can watch it. I mean, shit, you buy a TV now, and it has all the damn apps on it. You don't even need a box anymore. Whereas right now, if you want, you know, Xbox Game Pass, you need to have an Xbox. If you want to have PlayStation, whatever. But even that feels like that's probably not too far off. Where when you look at things like XCloud. You don't need a console for that. You just log into a browser and you play. It doesn't matter what what you have. Well, the fact that it's impossible to buy a console at the moment. True. They need to hurry that that, that system up. Yeah. It also feels a little offensive that they're offering these subscription services while you can't even buy their hardware. That, that being said about not being able to buy consoles, and I mentioned this, uh, as Jason said, when we discussed the Xbox subscription before, uh, I've actually been trying out the Xbox Cloud Gaming Beta on the iPad mini that I was just talking about before with the Nimbus uh, plus controller by steel series. Well, I've got a photo. We'll throw it uh, linked in the show notes. 
I don't have a modern Xbox. The last Xbox that I bought was the Xbox 360 and it still sits in my entertainment unit today because I love Forza Motorsport 3 on that thing. I don't think they have that available in the the current library. And don't get me started on the more recent Forzas, which I'm not into. That whole open world drive to your next event where you got the landscaping achievement because you hit a cactus when you went off road. (laughs) I don't want that. That's the Um, best achievement though. I just want to drive a simulation game, (laughs) but it's great. Just playing in the browser. I mean, I don't own an Xbox, so a positive to the whole subscription thing is that I can not be a diehard Xbox console gamer, but still kind of be able to be part of the ecosystem on this little thing and play it at my leisure. So I think you're right, Andrew. It's annoying because if you really are into games, you have to pay for everything. But on the flip side, if you do want to dabble in stuff or go in and out and not commit to having this big thing in your entertainment unit, you've got some more choice than what you did before. You're talking about right now, we're not having to have a console. Even the consoles are part of the subscription now where you pay $30 a month and you get an Xbox, whatever the latest Xbox is, and Xbox Game Pass, and you're just locked in at 30 bucks a month for... And then when a new console comes out, they send you the new one. That's kind of where this is all going. I I really like the cloud thing. I think that's like a, a super cool way to go. For me personally it's still not quite to the level of having the PS five hooked up to my TV. So for me being an avid gamer, I I still prefer having that physical console, but we're not far off to where those two things are not, you won't be able to tell the difference anymore. And and that is exciting to where I, I would, I would love a world where I could sit at my iMac, open up a app or a browser or whatever, play the game there oh, I'm going to go on vacation. Okay, cool. I can bring my iPad with me, play it on there, and it all just follows me where I go and not have to drag around a giant PS5 in a suitcase or something. Not that I would do that, but that's what I would have to do if I wanted to play those games you know, somewhere else. So, But see, that, that's where, sorry to interrupt you, that's where I think Arcade has a lot of hope but kind of falls flat in some areas. Because I'll be honest, I agree largely with what Andrew said about there not being a huge number of super exciting games, but there have been moments of unbelievable creativity. Like I've found some really cool stuff on there. Like there's a really, really simple game called Life Slide that I've been playing on Apple Arcade. Have either of you heard of this? You fly a paper aeroplane, right? Which sounds like, okay, great. But I would say with a controller, on the Apple TV or even on the iPad. It's so simple, but so engrossing in how you have to fly this thing. Cause it's not like accelerating a normal car. The game developers for Life Slide have thought about when you throw a paper airplane, throw it too low and you hit the ground and create fr- friction, throw it too high, the air catches it and it doesn't go anywhere. So some of the mechanics that I've seen in some of the games that I've tried are unlike things that I've tried elsewhere. Even one called the mosaic where it's this kind of uh, it's a tr- you know tried and true kind of formula or premise but you're this cog in the machine of the corporate world and you go through these scenes and the gameplay differs and at one point you're walking down the street but then it splits and you fly this butterfly through this dreary dystopian construction site and try to avoid all the tools and workers and then it flips back to the actual character that you're moving in the game so i think apple arcade has these cool creative moments but it doesn't kind of realize the potential of what you were saying, Jason, with something like the PlayStation, where an avid gamer would go in and have this all cross-platform and cool stuff for controllers. It's I, I kind of wish for more with arcade. 
Well, Apple Arcade's hamstrung itself because they want everything to be able to be playable everywhere. So it's got to be touch, touch controls and also an Apple TV remote control. Which it's not. I just ran into this the other day. There was a game that came out and I was like, oh, cool. I want to play that on the Apple TV. It's not on the Apple TV. It's only on the phone and iPad. Really? They've gone away from that, have they? Yeah. And I was like, wait, I thought the whole point was that I could, or no, I'm sorry. I wanted to play it on my iMac and it was only, I couldn't, it wasn't showing up in Apple Arcade on the App Store on my, on my Mac. And I was like, what the hell? I thought that was the whole point is that I could play them on everything. So that, that was annoying. I don't know if maybe that's a weird edge case or I hit some weird bug or something, but it just wasn't there. I just think, I think Apple need to lean into it and just go, we've got different games that suit different UIs and just go with it and also sell a controller like license the you know make a nimbus equivalent that's got an apple logo on it and just sell it and really and i think then the apple tv could become something worthwhile now until they do that until they really get the controller sorted it's never going to take off you need to make that thing almost just it comes with it i don't know it's got to be a bundle there has to be a an apple tv 4k whatever and then there's the apple tv gaming edition or whatever and it comes with you know two controllers an apple tv a chip that was actually made within the last year because that that was kind of the the sign to me that that was not really a, a motivation for them was that the last apple tv came out and it was still like three years old chip and it was like mm, that kind of tells me that this is not really meant to be the powerhouse gaming platform put an m1 in it Right. Like if you, if, or do that, right. Have the Apple TV 4k with the three-year-old chip, because you don't need anything more than that to play movies and then have the gamer edition that has the M one in it comes with two controllers. It's $600 or whatever overpriced thing you want to do. I don't care. And have that as an option, like come to the table, let people tell you that this is not what they want. Put it out there and see what happens. I just feel like because the option doesn't exist, it's 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 like chick, it's, it's not chicken and egg really, but it's this it's not picking up because the things are not there that people want. Where I see the opportunity for Apple and gaming is kind of what they did a little bit with Apple TV. So they bought the rights to things like Fraggle Rock and Snoopy, right? There isn't really much in the way of a licensed archive, but little familiar things make people go, oh, I like Snoopy. I'll go check that out for my kids or whatever. As far as gaming goes, recently on the App Store and on, uh, I think it was Xbox Game Pass as well, you can now play the reimagined or remastered version of Myst. So think about all of those games out there that are fan favorites. You brought up Goldeneye, for example, earlier, Jason, uh, but that might not have compatibility on newer consoles. Go and buy up old games that have been forgotten that people out there would love to be able to play again, that the original platforms have forgotten or don't care about anymore, port them over to Apple Arcade, and then suddenly you can say, play game X, which you've never been able to play since. I reckon people would jump on that. Uh, at my, my job, I have a Mac, and for not great reasoning, no one consulted me before purchasing it. <sighs> Heavy sigh. So I got an M1 MacBook Pro with eight gigs of RAM. And I was like, well, you know, this is that new RAM, so maybe it's fine. It, it hasn't really been fine overall. Um, <laughs> I, I find a lot of things to be very sluggish. 
I, I feel like I need to reboot all the time. But I think I found the culprit. And that is I plug this laptop into a 32-inch 4K LG whatever the hell monitor. Love the monitor. Monitor is great. It's a phenomenal monitor. But the other day, I was for some reason using my laptop just as a laptop not connected. Everything was perfectly fine. And then I went and went back to the to the monitor again and things started going south again. So somehow, I think there's an issue with the fact that it's driving a large monitor and I don't do dual screen. I have it in shut mode. But I think that is somehow eating up a lot of system resources to drive that huge monitor. Well, it would do. You think about the amount of memory it takes. I mean, look at your a gra- normal graphics card. How much memory does that have? And 4K display. It's only a 4K monitor, though. I didn't really think that would be that big of a deal. But apparently, maybe it is. So I think if you're just using it as a laptop, if you're going to go buy a Mac and like you only use it as a laptop and you just do you know normal stuff... I think eight gigs actually is probably fine for basically everyone, unless you're actually connecting it to a big giant external monitor. That may be a problem. So I, a point of comparison, I'm looking at my um, system information for this iMac that I'm sitting in front of. It has a Radeon Pro five seven five X graphics card to drive the oh, my drive the five K display. It has four four gigabytes of RAM just for that graphics card. So. If you think about that, so that's four gigs of your eight gigs being taken thereabouts on your display. Needless to say, my next my next computer's work computer will not be eight gigs. They should have consulted you. You would think being the only Mac user in the entire organization, they might maybe ask me what I would want, but here we are. That's not how corporate America works. Martin, when you order a coffee... What size coffee do you get? Uh, in Australia, I would say a small. Okay. A piccolo. Which is, I think, well, well, no, that's the thing. So I think a small in American language would be eight ounces. Probably, yeah. Yeah. That's, so if I order a small flat white with two shots, which, which is my regular order, I think it equates to eight ounces. Some cafes will sell a six ounce, which is between a piccolo and a small flat white. Yeah, I think it's like eight. 12, 16. To me, ounce is a weight. I don't really understand a volumetric measure mm. of ounce. Um, mm. So it, once again, the Americans really stuffing up any form of measurement that they have to do. Uh, I usually pick medium and I'll get a medium flat white. I don't do, I just get the normal level. I think a medium comes with two shots as a standard approach. I think that's how I get my two shots. But is that to compensate for more milk or do you end up with a much stronger flavor? Nah, it's, it's to compensate with a slightly higher volume of milk. Um, I, I get frustrated because if it... See, I have a small one to have a stronger coffee. Yeah, but I get frustrated because if I have a small one, it disappears too quick and I, I feel like I need a bit more fluid entering my system. Um, Jason, what, what do Americans do? You just go to that urn thing and just like squeeze out some coffee from that was made six hours ago. and Is that how it works at the gas station? Yep, that's exactly right. That's the only place that you can get coffee here is from a six-hour-old gas station. Uh, it actually comes out of the pump. So, <laughs> fun fact. 
say like Homer Simpson with the one for you, one for me yep. at the Bowser. Yep. Our, That's you. Our cars run on the same thing that we drink. And is it a is it like one of those big um big gulp sort of style drinks that you, you would fill up? That's the only it's the only size cups that we import into the country is uh, big gulp size. I believe the technical term is jumbo grande venti. Mm-hmm. Slash medium large. And you can always see Mark Harmon carrying one on NCIS. That's what he walks around with. What what do you get, Jason? Okay. What what, what do you order as a coffee? Um, I generally will order from my kitchen, um, because I don't go anywhere, uh, a generally I'll do about 16 ounces of, uh, cold brew coffee every day. That's usually my go-to. Okay. Can I be an idiot? When we say cold brew coffee. Sure. Is it? You're more than welcome to be one. (laughs) Is it actually cold coffee or is it just being cold brewed? You're drinking it as a cold. Uh, you can go either way. I, I'm... I take it literally as a cold coffee, but you can have hot cold brew, I guess you could call it. You could heat it up, sure. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. But it's also not espresso, is it? It's a type of drip. No, it's, yeah, it's a sta- like a coffee ground thing that sits in the, it's cold brew because it sits, it doesn't brew using hot water. That's where the cold comes from. You actually brew it by just having it sit for like, Kind of depends on what it is, but usually around twelve hours uh, in the refrigerator, and then it uh, then you take out the grounds, and it's a delicious, smooth cup of coffee. And I think Suntory Boss that uh, that has espresso and cold brew options, doesn't it? It does. Yes, those little metal cans. If you want your coffee in a can, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, I don't like the little metallic. The best thing ever. The slightly metallic tang you get when you drink out of one of those. Oh, that's how you know you're living. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that the thing that kind of disturbs me about those cans, although I enjoy the drinks that are in them, is that the weight of the can at the bottom is such that when you've finished your last sip and you put it down and then you pick it up again to dispose of it, like throw it in recycling, you think there's you still think some You think you have a there. sip left and then you get tricked. It's the trick sip. And I, I'm not sure if that weighting is done to avoid can tip over in a slight breeze or if it's actually to create a sense of cognitive dissonance because- you end up thinking there's more coffee than what you had. I think it's a marketing thing because you pick it up and you go, oh, thank goodness, I have one more sip left. And then you go, disappointment. And then you have to go get another one because you were so set on having that last sip that I might as well get a whole nother one. I also don't like those cans because I don't know if they're eligible as part of our recycling program. We have a 10 cent deposit scheme here in Western Australia. So you take your empty glass bottles scheme empty aluminium <laughs> bottles and you get 10 cents yeah. back for each one but because that's mm. more steel rather than aluminium i don't know where it qualifies for 10 cents back well steel's very um, like infinitely recyclable but um yeah i don't know what that means to the program when they're sorting do they just have do they have a steel bucket just use a magnet just magnet it whatever magnets throw it in the steel side doesn't magnet throw it in the other side